If you could please stand as we read the scripture today, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 35, starting with verse 16. Then they journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. When her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she named him. She called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Billah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now the son of Jacob were twelve, the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan, and Naphtali, the sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padamaram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last. And he died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So word of the Lord, you may be seated. So, Chapter 35 was supposed to be one week. It is now three weeks. We're in this uh, series called The Patriarchs, talking about the male founders of the Jewish people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and how we are heirs according to the promise spoken to Abraham. This chapter, though, has been kind of a mini-series within that series. In the first section, um, I spoke about how God calls him back to Bethel, back to the place he first met with God, where there was a stairway to heaven. We talked about how that stairway, according to Jesus Christ, is Jesus Christ, the son of man who who connects earth to heaven, who is that final mediator between God and man. And God calls him back to Bethel, back to the place of intimacy with him, back to the place of worship. But before they go, they have to change their clothes and get rid of their idols. In that place that they had sojourned and had decided to try to make a new home, they had picked up the idols of that place. And that right there, that's the first revival that's in the scriptures. Because what a revival is, is somebody who's been alive in Christ, alive in the Lord, who's let their love for the Lord grow cold, allowed idols in, have allowed their garments to become metaphorically stained, for them to change their garments, to get rid of their idols. That's revival. It's the reason why we haven't had real revival in America. We've called things revival. But until people change their clothes and get rid of their idols, it's not revival. I don't care what crazy stuff happens in it, unless people actually repent and turn to the Lord, it's not revival. This is revival. And they return to Bethel. They return to Bethel. And at Bethel, the Lord appears once again to Jacob. And he reminds Jacob, your name is no longer Jacob. It is Israel. And last week I talked to you about who you are, who Christ has made you to be. At least metaphorically, if not literally, you have a new name in Christ. 
This is what we're told in Revelation, that those who overcome, they'll get a white stone. On the stone will be a new name that only them and the Lord Lord himself knows. So we have this new name, who we are, reminding ourselves as Jacob was reminded, he's no longer Jacob. He's no longer the heel grabber. He is Israel. He is God conquers. Today, we are looking at, as we go along, that yes, we can be in fellowship. We can be in the right spot with the Lord, but circumstances and trials still come our way. And the main, the main heart of what I'm talking about today, what the scripture is, is revealing to us today is this. Circumstances don't change your name. Terrible things will happen one after another in the rest of this section right here for Israel, for Jacob here. But it doesn't change his name. It doesn't change his name. He's not no longer Israel. Now he's Jacob. Here's an example of somebody See, we're not really told how he deals with this. We have some indications, and I'll talk about that in a second. But how he deals with this constant barrage of terrible things coming into his life. But we do have an example of somebody and how they did not respond super well in the Old Testament in the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, she loses her husband and she loses her sons in the same season. When she comes back to Israel, they're like, oh, all right, Naomi's back. How's everything, Naomi? And she's like, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. See, Naomi meant sweet. It meant pleasant. And she tells them, my life has not been sweet or pleasant. Stop calling me that. Call me Mara. The people of Israel, when they were coming back to the promised land, they come upon these waters and you need water to survive in the desert, of course. So you come to this water and you're all excited, but it's bitter water. So they called it the waters of Mara. So the Lord tells them to take a tree branch and put it into these waters. And what was once bitter, these bitter Mara waters become sweet. And that is where he's first called Yahweh Rophe, God, our healer. Because he takes what is bitter and he makes it sweet. In our flesh, When we are dealing with trials, we sometimes think God is actually doing the reverse, that he has changed his mind about who we are in him. And instead of being sweet, we are now Mara. To her credit, her friends and neighbors, they don't call her Mara because circumstances don't change our name. Going through trials and struggles don't change our name. Her name was not Mara, it was Naomi. In the sermon title today, not all those who wander are lost. It comes from a quote from Lord of the Rings. It is about the, uh, it's about um, Aragorn, the king of Gondor. But in the first book, he has lived a life for a good many years as not a king, but as a ranger named Strider. But that's not who he is. And the full quote is this. All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. From the ashes, a fire shall be woken. A light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall be the blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king. I want you to know today that whatever is happening in your life, and I don't care if it, you know, here's another problem. When things are going really super well in our life, we think it's because I'm getting what I'm owed. And then for all of us, every one of us, and maybe you're in a spot in your life, like you're truly like, I've never really had to suffer in my life. I have super bad news for you today because your time's coming. 
I need to listen to what I'm saying because you are going to need this when it's your time for suffering. That when times come, no matter what circumstances, it does not change the thoughts that God has for you. He has not forgotten his promises even as we go through struggling times. God does not take away your name. And in times of trouble and confusion, in times of where we are literally being disobedient, our first reaction often is to question not just the promises of God, but God himself. The question, has he truly remade us? Has he truly even saved us? Now, don't get me wrong. In self-introspection, you realize that, no, no, I've truly never bowed the knee before Christ. I'm truly not saved. Listen to that. Follow that. But there is a false guilt that Christians can have. We read about this. We learned about this as we went through 1 John. That if at some point, if some point in time our heart condemns us, take courage because God is greater than our heart. Amen? Because I don't know about you, I've dealt with false guilt in my life. I've dealt with a lack of assurance of salvation. I had to go to God's word and to hear my, the name that he's called me once again to remind myself of that and that God has not changed his mind about me. There are so many things that, may, that makes us struggle with that. Jacob is Israel. In this next section, we see a whirlwind of trauma comes his way. It's almost like Job. One thing is bad, and then the next thing happens almost right after that, and then right after that. His wife and his father die. His son, his oldest son, betrays him. But God has told him, and God has not changed his mind. He is no longer Jacob. He is Israel. Struggling and sufferings cannot change that. There is a promise in John chapter 16 that often does not make its way into those, those little books that are 100 promises from the scripture. And it's this. And actually, could you put it up for me? Oh, you, you guys are great. You're on the ball. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation or trouble. That's the promise of God. In this world, you will have trouble. There's not a single person who's been born of man, who's lived a life into their 30s probably, who's not had trouble. But what does he say here? Oh, keep it up. <laughs> I'm not done with it. All right. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Now hear me today. That does not mean when you're going through suffering and trial, you're going to be singing, well, just look on the bright side of your life. It's through tears. It's through pain. It's through clenched teeth but we have a center of us that cannot be shaken or touched. The world can't take it away because the world didn't give it. It was given by someone who is greater than this world. So I've talked about this multiple times in the book of Genesis as we've gone throughout this about how important names are. But in my defense, the scripture really makes a big deal of the names. In this section, right even here, we have Benjamin, the youngest son of Israel, who is also, who his mom wanted to name Ben-Oni, instead his father names him Benjamin. We have his oldest son, Reuben, whose name means, see, I have a, I have a, I have a kid, and, or, it's just, or it's a play on words for just seen, that's how his mom took it. We have Isaac at the end of this, Isaac means to laugh. And in all of these names, we see, we see a paradox in each one of these as the, as the Holy Spirit writes through Moses, relaying these events to us. We see sorrow, we see strength in sorrow. We see what is hidden become what is seen. And we see laughing in the midst of crying. Strength and sorrow, verses 16 through 21. 
We start off this section right here that they journeyed, they journeyed from Bethel. Bethel was not supposed to be the stop that they always make. See, those mountaintop experiences, they're not really for every single day of our lives. We have moments with God that are significant and we go back there constantly in our hearts, but we then move on in life because God has called us to other things, to be of use to him and his mission for this world. So they journey from Bethel when they were still some distance from Ephrath. Rachel went into labor and she had a hard labor. Now this doesn't happen much anymore, but in that time, in the times of even America past, going into labor on the road was not safe. And many women died in childbirth. And Rachel, it's a very hard labor. In verse 17, and when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, do not fear for you have another son. Out of context, that seems like a weird comfort, right? She's, she's dying. And her midwife is like, don't worry, it's a boy. And it's like, whether it's a boy or a girl, what does that matter? Well, it was a big comfort to Rachel because when Joseph was born, when Joseph was born, Rachel said something pretty significant here. She is dying, you know, so big deal if it's a boy or a girl. But if we rewind to chapter 30, verse 24, this is Rachel. And she said, call his name Joseph. Joseph means may he add, by the way, saying, may the Lord add to me another son. Joseph means may he add. Here we see her prayer answered. Death is sad and this does not make it less sad. It's a reminder that for us, that just right now death reigns, but the day will come when even death will die. That the hope of the resurrection is real. That because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, so will we. And the last enemy to be defeated is death. There's all kinds of silly things that people say about death, that death is natural. Death is not natural. That you were created body, soul, and spirit. That Adam was not Adam when he was just a breath in the Lord's mouth. He was Adam when, when the Lord breathed on the clay and it became a living soul. I love C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis also gets this wrong too. He says, you are not, um, you do not have a soul. You're a soul, you have a body. No, you're body, soul, and spirit. That is why death is an evil. And it is an evil. And it's an evil that will be destroyed one day by Christ. Death itself will die. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? This doesn't make it less sad, but it, it points to the great hope that we have that God, will, that God will add a seed to the line of Jacob, to the line of Israel, in which death will have no power over him, Jesus Christ. So in the middle of her suffering, she responds very much like I think many people would. It says, as her soul was departing, that's a euphemism for, for she was dying. So those of you who are in class on Wednesday, you've got your homework and you need to have an example for euphemism. I'm giving you the answer right here. Here's a euphemism. For her soul was departing, for she was dying. She, she called his name Ben-Onai, but his father called him Benjamin. Ben-Onai means son of suffering. Benjamin means son of my right hand or son of strength. Rachel wants to name the boy Ben-Onai, uh, meaning son of sorrow. And there's a lot of sorrow to go around here. And as the Dread Pirate Robert said, life is suffering, princess. Anyone tells you differently is trying to sell something. And I put that in my notes today. I was like, okay, where do I go from there? Because I, I'm not trying to sell you hope because hope is something you already have. I'm not trying to sell you joy because joy is something you already have. And I came to Isaiah chapter 55. 
Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money on what is not bread and your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good and delight your soul in riches. Incline your ear to, and come to me. Listen that your soul may live and I will cut an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful loving kindness of David. There is strength to be found in sorrow. There is a joy that does not end. And that every person you've met is not a mere mortal. Every person will live forever. Now, whether in heaven or in hell is the question. There is a strength to be found in this sorrow right here. One thing I want to say, I want to stop and realize right here is Jacob Israel is walking with God. This is not a consequence of any sin or payback for disobedience. Dear Christian, you do not have to fear punishment. Your punishment was paid for Christ on the cross. We still live in this world of suffering. We still live on this side of the veil of tears. But we do not have to think, okay, this bad thing's happened to me. What have I done wrong? Don't take that guilt on yourself. It's not yours. He is walking with the Lord and he is walking in obedience, yet still he has this trouble, but he is taking heart because his faith is now in the one who's overcome the world. Everyone, um, everyone has trouble. There's no excuse, but, but take heart. The remade heart that God has put in you has been put in you by one who is greater than the world. Our hope, our solace is in Christ and in Christ alone. In verses 19 through 21, we see Rachel's tomb. Here's our indication that, that Israel, he did not take the death of his wife like, oh, okay, well, God has a plan and a purpose for everything. Let's just move on. No, he mourned for his wife. It was not okay, but it was okay. So Rachel died and she was buried. And on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem, and Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the river of Eder. Of, of Eder. I'm saying that wrong, but I can't remember how to pronounce it. Um, this tomb was an important landmark all the way to the New Testament. It was a reminder to Jacob and to all others of his great love for Rachel. Unfortunately, it probably was a matter of contention. That's a wonderful thing about families, right? Everyone can find something wrong with something. It was a good indication for his sons that their mother, their mothers were not his, the one he loved. Going back to Benjamin right here, that there is strength to be found in sorrow. It's quite the paradox. I hope you don't think I am sugarcoating this or that when it's your time of trouble that you should just hide that away and act like everything is all right. Israel makes this monument because he is mourning the loss of his wife. But there is strength to be found in the Lord, even, even in those really dark times. Since we are finishing the story of Rachel, at least for this series that we're going through, I want to mention of her mentions later on in the scripture, in Jeremiah, then in Matthew, Rachel weeps in childbirth, but she still is weeping. 
not at the birth of her children, but when her descendants are murdered. In Jeremiah 31, 15, I just want to say before I go into this, I had this in my notes earlier this week, long before I heard about the attacks on Friday. I'll be honest, it's hard for me to preach today because I am so distracted because I've been watching the videos that have been coming out of Israel before the media gets a chance to clean them up or it gets a chance to put their spin on it. And I said this before, it is not the conflict that has been going on for the last 50 years. This is personal and horrific. And so I put this in my notes on Thursday from Jeremiah 31, 15. Thus says the Lord, a voice in Rama, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children and she refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. This is fulfilled in the birth of Christ. You know, there is just something demonic about anti-Semitism. There just is. Nobody feels this way about any other nation on the earth. And whether somebody is a dispensationalist, a covenantalist, or placement theology, at the very least, you have to acknowledge that people in Israel have a right to live their life without a missile coming at their, at their building for no reason at all, not even in the middle of a conflict. And have people come into your house and take you prisoner. There's something demonic in this. Because at the birth of Christ, we see Herod, the supposed great, in Matthew chapter 2, starting verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that, saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had, that he had ascertained from the wise men. Verse 17. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice in Rama, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted because they are no more. This prophecy was fulfilled in the exile. This prophecy was fulfilled at the birth of Christ. And this prophecy continues to be fulfilled. And we need to be praying for the peace of Israel. Because, I mean, I've been following the news the last few weeks and things were going really well. Saudi Arabia was having these talks of normalizing relations. That's better than like the peace talks of the Abraham Accords. And then this happens really out of nowhere. I believe that as much as this is political and physical, it's also spiritual. Because this happens right after the Feast of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. As New Testament believers, we look towards the Feast of Tabernacles being fulfilled in eternity when we will tabernacle, dwell with the Lord. That's the fulfillment. Jesus will fulfill, has fulfilled, and is continuing to fulfill the Feast of Tabernacles. This happens right after that. That is not a coincidence. Rachel is still weeping for her children. As we go on in here, it's hard enough dealing with this and Right after this, verse 22. And when Israel lived in the land, Reuben, his firstborn, went and laid with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. The first three sons of Israel have disqualified themselves to carry on the family line. In previous chapters in 34, you had Simeon and you had Levi, and those are the second and third oldest. And they use the covenant of circumcision to get the neighbors into a false sense of security and then they kill them all because 
of a slight. So they've, they've disqualified themselves. And Jacob, when he prophesies over them at the end of his life, he says so. That you, you don't want them in your council. They're men of violence. And now his oldest, Reuben, has disqualified himself from carrying on the family line by, by sleeping with his, um, I don't know you call her, stepmom, mom of his, whatever you call her. Um, I was reading Josephus about this whole, this whole incident. And when I was going over 34, I said, one of the things that tells us the Bible is a divine book because people don't talk about their ancestors or honored ancestors this way. They talk about how they use the covenant of circumcision to kill the neighbors. And so I was thinking about this because I'm reading Josephus and Josephus actually omits that. Josephus is a Jewish historian and he knew that this was going to be Gentiles reading it. So he's like, I'm just gonna take that out of there. Just make it seem like they attacked him. So when it comes to Reuben and what he does, he is nothing but vitriol for Reuben because what he's doing right here, so we, we know it's bad. We, we understand that, but it was way worse in their time. Now you don't need to have a, a history degree to know this or a history degree in the ancient Near East. You can go to the book of, Se- of, of Second Samuel when one of David's sons, Absalom, usurps his kingdom. And you know one of the first things he does? He goes and sleeps with the concubines. It was the way to say, dad is dead. I'm the new king. And that's what Reuben's doing here. This is why this is really bad. This is why the, the scripture doesn't even say, it just says that Israel knew of it. It doesn't say his reaction because it doesn't need to. Everyone who's reading this is like, wait, what did he do again? Josephus actually calls it incest, even though Josephus makes it clear that they're not physically related. You can imagine, you know, some, for some people, I know that they've said the worst tragedy in your life is when is betrayal more than, more than even loss. When somebody you trusted betrays your trust. Reuben, his name, his name means, see, I have a son. His mother, his mother used a play on words when she named him. She said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. His mother focused on that part of his name, meaning seen, because she felt she was unseen. Now Reuben, paradoxically, is trying to be unseen in his betrayal of his dad, but what he is trying to do in secret has been found out. In Luke chapter 8, verse 17, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Moses, the author of Genesis, doesn't record Israel's reaction when he finds out only that he does find out. He doesn't, he doesn't have to either. Everyone reading this at the time would understand the violation of trust. Josephus calls it incest, even though the two are not related by blood. Something similar happens in the book of Corinthians. And that's a good, once again, if you don't understand the Old Testament, you don't understand the New Testament so well. See, the Corinthians, they have something very similar in which a man is having a relationship with his stepmother, with his father's wife, and they're happy about it. And he says, shouldn't you be rather filled with shame? And believe me, the Pharisee of the Pharisees, he knows this story right here. So he's like, okay, you have something to tell you this is wrong. Even if you don't understand that yourself, you, can, you have something to tell you this is wrong. And they were happy about this. I always, I always thought, it's like, okay, how in the world did they get so twisted? Then I think of a lot of the movies we watch. A lot of the movies we watch, the most reprehensible moral evils are turned to look like they're good and righteous. 
Remember one time me and Becca were watching some stupid rom-com. I don't like rom-com. Sorry if you do, but I don't. And we're watching one and um, it, I can't remember all the things, but like this guy is like um, going after a gal, even though he's like dating this other gal. And it's like, and they're trying to make it seem noble and right. And I'm like, no, it's not. You know, some of the things that we, we feed our souls on give us a warped view, but we can always go back to the scripture. Betrayal. Moses, the author of Genesis, he records this betrayal. Here we have as he is dealing with the death of his wife and now he has family drama. As you're reading along, your response should be, doesn't this guy ever get a break? His wife just passed and now his son is causing problems. It's like, couldn't you batten down that crazy for just a bit, Reuben? Um, I bet you have stories like this as well, where things are going bad, not like this, hopefully, but things like this, where things are going bad and people in your life just don't seem to get the hint that they need to lay off. But even with all that said, that doesn't change his name. In verses 23 through 26, we have the sons of Jacob right here. Now the sons of Jacob were 12. It's a reminder for us, the reader, that Jacob is still blessed by God. The sons of Leah, Reuben, this firstborn, Simeon and Levi, who have, once again, they have disqualified themselves. So it'll be Judah that the promise comes through. And who from Judah comes to us is Jesus Christ. So that is the narrative here we have in scripture of revealing that Judah, and this is the one thing we read through Genesis, we read to the end of Genesis, we'll get to Joseph and Joseph is seeming like he's the main character. He's not the main character because the promise comes through Judah. And that's a really great thing in our life is that we don't have to be the most important because we're important to the Lord. And that's enough. And that's more than enough. Issachar, Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin, the sons of Bilha, Rachel's servant, Dan and Nephtali, the sons of, Z- uh, uh, the sons of Zebul- uh, Zilpah, there we go, Leah's servant, Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob and they were born to him in Pada Aram. So these will be the patriarchs. These will be representing in some way, shapes and form the tribes of Israel going forward. These are 12 more patriarchs. And then we get to the last bit here in, in the narrative of this chapter. Kind of a chapter that has all of these events going on. And this last one right here is the death of Isaac. Isaac, his name, excuse me, uh, his name means to laugh. Verse 29 is the death of Isaac. His name means to laugh, so many different ways to laugh, right? Uh, right, Mary Poppins told us that. Some people laugh through their noses, some people laugh high and all that. His father laughed when he was told that Isaac would be born, but it was not a laughter of disbelief. It was of laughter at how wonderful God is because he's not chided for unbelief like his wife is. It's because when you, when you come face to face with how good God is, sometimes all you can do is laugh because it's like, wow. Sarah, on the other hand, when she heard about it, she laughed because she didn't believe it. When the people in the community heard she was pregnant and she was giving birth, they laughed because God had given her a, given, given um, Abraham a son in his old age by his wife who was in old age. Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, he found out the ruse of Isaac when Isaac was pretending his wife was his sister because he saw them laughing. Here's another kind of laughing. The type of laughing that is through the tears that awake because of a person who lived their life well in submission to the Lord. When Josephus writes about the death of Isaac, 
he takes a moment and talks about his riches, his blessings, how he followed the Lord. He lived a good life. He was rich. He had children. He had sons. He had come back, that had come back to him. At the end, he gets to see his many, many grandchildren. Isaac was a good man, but everything I just said is not what makes him great. What makes him great is towards the end when Jacob left, he decided, I will, I will do what the Lord has said. And he blesses Jacob as he leaves. The only thing that makes us good in the eyes of the Lord is our submission to him and what he calls us. We're not good in and of ourselves. And last week, I was actually kind of concerned with my preaching because I was like, I hope people don't think I'm talking about in a Tony Robinson way of like, you're, or like a Stuart Smalley type of way. You're good enough. You're smart enough. And, and you know, doggone it, people like you. But of what Christ has done in us, because apart from Christ, we have no worth. But in Christ, we have worth beyond value. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Heaven is too small for him. The earth cannot contain him, but he chooses to live inside of you and he's remade you. So what makes Isaac great really is his submission to the Lord. He is the ordinary son of a great father, the ordinary father of a great son. That's how people have described him. But at the end of his life, it is full of years. It's not because he's 180. See, David, he was also said to be old and full of years and he was 70 when he passed. Being full of years has nothing to do with the number of years you live, but the way you live those years and the presence of God in your life. So Isaac, Isaac, you know, by all measurements, dies, dies very well. He has kids. He has, um, he has all this wealth and everything like that. But you look at him, that's not, once again, that's not the indication of the blessings of God because the most blessed person who has ever lived was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had no home. Jesus Christ was poor and lowly. He died. He died a sinner's death, though there was no sin found in him. Jesus, um, Jesus was uh, greater in the order of magnitude of blessed than Isaac himself. All the money in the world can't make up for, the distant, for distance with God. It's better to be a beggar who is close to God than the one who, is, who can own the whole world but has lost his soul. Isaac is not perfect and never was perfect. He is just a believer struggling with his sin, but depending on the righteousness that comes from faith. As we finish up his story, maybe the Lord needs to teach us to laugh like Abraham laughed when he heard that, that Isaac would be born laughing at the overwhelming goodness of God, laughing through tears as we get through times of suffering to go on to other times in our life. Because this world cannot take what it has never given, that we were made for a better world than this. In verse 29, Isaac breathed his last and he died and he was gathered to his people, old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. I was reading that again this week and I put something in my notes but that was an awkward funeral. Because remember last time Jacob and Esau met? Jacob had told Esau, okay, you go ahead and I got to go slow, but we're going to meet over in Seir. So now he's, now he's there together. They're burying their dad. And I can, I can just imagine Esau turning over to Jacob being like, so it's been about 15 years. How long does it take for you to get to Seir? 
I've been to some awkward funerals in my time. Um, I was at a funeral where, where do I even begin? Um, We get in there, me and my uh, former senior pastor, and uh, there's a guy with bagpipes. And here's the thing, okay, when it comes to any ceremony you have a pastor do, don't surprise them. They don't like surprises. So there's a guy with bagpipes and we're like, so what are you doing here? He's like, oh, I'm going to be playing. And we're like, you are. We're like, okay, we'll roll with it. We're flexible. And uh, so another funeral I was at, um, the, uh, the bereaved tried to crawl into the casket and nearly tipped it over. At a, I mean, it was tipping over. We had to put it back in place. At another one, I was serving communion and I was getting communion ready. And my senior pastor, he was doing the communion things. And all of a sudden I hear, Lord, don't take him now. This guy in the congregation passed out and it was pandemonium. People are screaming. They're, 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 like, they're like gathering around. We had to call the ambulance. I was at another funeral in which, uh, in which uh, the son of the bereaved um, took the rings off his, off his father. Um, that is super gauche in a funeral. Um, and uh, yeah, and this was all the same funeral. <laughs> It was the only funeral I've been at in which, the, uh, in which the funeral director later on in the community, when she saw me, she's like, wasn't that something? And I'm like, it sure was. I would rather do that funeral a hundred times than be at this one right here because I can't imagine what Esau is saying to Jacob. Like, so I thought you changed. He told me about your experience with God and how your name is, 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 is Israel here. And I can't even imagine what Jacob said there. But they get the job, the job done. The next couple chapters here, Esau goes to his land and Jacob stays in Canaan. But what's, what is the thing? You know, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says that all scripture is God-breathed useful for teaching, rebuke, and training in righteousness. So how do these stories train us in righteousness? How does it teach us? How does it encourage us? It's that our hope, our joy, and our strength are found in the Lord alone. That circumstances do not change our name and that not all who wander are lost. That times of suffering are only for a season and that joy does come in the morning. When you see a solar eclipse, it's because the moon is in your way between you and the sun, so you can't see the sun's light. But it's only for a moment. But in that moment, it is somewhat terrifying. It is somewhat terrible. And we judge ourselves so harshly in those moments. We think, oh, my faith has departed me. And we we wonder what we should do next, but we should know that it's only for a moment that the Hope that God has put in our hearts is only that is unshakable and that joy comes in the morning. So I think about Israel right here going through thing after thing after thing. And I think of the book of Lamentations, which is a book that God has used so greatly to encourage me in my life in times of suffering in my life. And Lamentations is the first scripture I ever memorized. I wasn't trying to memorize it. I just read it so much because it just, it challenged me in so many ways. And it's Lamentations chapter three, 19 through 24 I remember my sufferings and my wanderings, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them. My soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. For the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassion never fails. They are new every morning. 
The lie the world tells us, the lie the devil tells us, and the lie our sinful nature tells us is that it will consume you. We are told that for his great love, we are not consumed. His compassion never fails. They are new every morning. And what is true in the light is true in the dark. Oftentimes, what was true in the light, we couldn't see until it was dark. That our only source of hope, our only source of joy, our only source of strength can only be in God. Trouble and triumph comes, but the name that God has given you and the name of God lasts forever. Worship team, would you come up at this time? In summary here, as we look at the names, as the the scripture is leading us with that, we see strength and sorrow. We see what was hidden become seen. And you know, one thing I want to say about this, this is the amazing grace of God. See, if you love somebody from arrogance because you don't really know them, do you really know them? Do you really love them? But God knows us. He knows everything we've done. He knows our intentions. And Romans 5 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You might wonder if the people in my life, if they really knew me, would they love me? You don't have to wonder that about God, that while we were yet sinners, that means in the midst of your greatest, most heinous sin, Christ, God was there sending his son to save you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that he sees us and loves us anyway. And the final thing is joy comes with the morning. Circumstances don't change your name. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you and don't forget it. If today you don't know the Lord, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where you really repent and turn your heart towards the Lord. And I know that if you do that, if the Lord is working on your heart right now and you feel the love of the Lord with you right now, he will remake you and he will give you a new name. Worship team, would you lead us in our final song? And I don't know where you're at today. You might be watching this online a month from now and things have gone really bad. So hear me. God has not forgotten his promises or his intentions towards you. That the darkness comes for a night, but joy does come with the morning.